Real quick, I want to take our church's attendance, uh, attention to the sermon series that we've been calling this series, season as um, uh, Joy Right. It's the study from the book of Philippians. And today I want to do part three. And today I want to talk my sermon title as The Glorious Life. The Glorious Life. And I want to keep my sermon, uh, my verses for meditation today from Philippians chapter 1. Verses 19 to 26. Philippians chapter 1, verses 19 to 26. I'm going to read verse 19 here. For I know that through your prayers and the help of the Spirit of Jesus Christ, this will turn out for my deliverance, as it is my eager expectation and hope that I will not be all ashamed, but that with full courage now, as always, Christ will be honored in my body, whether by life or by death. Verse 21 is a classic scripture that probably you've read in many Instagram bios and posts and coffee mugs and t-shirts like advertisement, but it's more than an advertisement. It's a lifestyle for us to live. Verse 21, for me to live (coughs) is Christ and to die (coughs) is gain. Verse 22, if I am to live in the flesh, that means fruitful labor for me. Yet which I shall choose, I cannot tell. I am hard-pressed between the two. My desire is to depart and be with Christ, for that is far better. But to remain in the flesh is more necessary on your account. Convinced of this, I know that I will remain and continue with you all for your progress and joy in the faith, so that in me, you may have ample cause to glory in Christ Jesus because of my coming to you again. Heavenly Father, thank you for your scriptures. Help me to dive it, divide it, and give it to your children. In Jesus' name, amen. As we read through the the book of Philippians here, we're still on chapter 1. But as we process through the scriptures, we know by now, we know the background, we know the backdrop of the story, we know what's happening, when, what's taking place and all that. If you want to know more, you know, you can tune into our podcast and all that and you can get an understanding of the background. But today when I take my church's attention into the, the third part, which is, I want to title as the glorious life, the glorious life. What does it mean to uh, uh, title as the glorious life? What does it mean to have a glorious life? The glorious life is the understanding of Christ in me. Christ, who is the author of all glory and honor, living inside of me is the beginning of a glorious life. Some people say that in a glorious life is only seen in heaven. Uh, I don't completely agree with that statement because I believe that the moment you accept the Lord as your personal savior, the moment you start walking in the ways and the perfect image of Christ Jesus through water baptism, becoming one with Him, you begin a life of glory in Christ Jesus. Christ in you is the beginning of a glorious life. Christ within us. Now, if each of us in this room, we have Jesus in us, you are living a glorious life. Christ in us is the very essence of living a glorious life. What does it mean? You know, back in my back in the days, right? Whenever I used to um, 
see some of the saints and pictures of the saints, and especially back in India, whenever they want to portray that this is a particular saint in a picture or an idol, what they usually do is that they try to depict a halo right behind their head. And just to show that this particular person is glorious, he, she is divine because of the halo that they are and that they contain, that they have, you know what? And so I have grown up seeing a lot of images in whenever we go to our churches and different spa- you know, places and back in our home country. And uh, I've seen these individuals that are like, so-and-so is such a saint. Why? Because they have a halo that man has made behind it. No. Can I tell you, when the glory of God comes within us, your life is enlightened for others to see. The light of his gospel enlightens our walk with God which begins the glorious life in Christ Jesus. That I no longer live an old life of what I used to be, but the moment Christ came into my life, I now become a new creation in Christ Jesus. My walk is different. Why? Because now I am living a glorious life. My talk is different. Why? Because now I live a glorious life in Christ Jesus. Brothers and sisters, a lot of people in this room that I see, we live a glorious life because of the grace of God that was extended to us. Christ in me is the result of a glorious life that you and me will get to live. But verse 19 that I want to take your attention to helps us to understand, for I know that through your prayers, through your prayers, Acts chapter 12, verse 5, you know, we see the prayer of the church helped, uh, you know, liberate Peter from the prison that he was at. Bible helps us to understand in Acts chapter 12 that Peter was kept in the prison, but the church earnestly prayed. So when you look into Philippians chapter 1, verse 19, Paul is actually using those examples of, of his life's journey where he has seen the corporate body of Christ coming together. To pray. Are you with me church? Oh there is so much power in an individual prayer. But when a group gathers together to pray. One can chase a thousand. But when two gathers together. The union of marriage where God has brought husband and wife. Is because one can always chase a thousand. But when husband and wife gathers together. Can I declare thousands and ten thousands. Multitudes of demonic points will be driven out. By the grace of God, one can chase a thousand, but two, a ten thousand, that's a huge number. So Paul is helping the church in Philippi understand that whatever I am is because of the prayer of the saints. Are you with me, church? Whatever I am. Brothers, I would have been died and gone long ago. But whatever I am today is because of the prayers of the body of Christ. Are you with me, church? There is so much power. When a church gathers together to pray, the corporate prayer of the church, not just the worship, but the prayer. What is prayer? Prayer is talking to God. I don't need to know all the scriptures. Prayer is just an honest communication with God from wherever we are. Some, sometimes when we pray, you know, it look, looks like, you know, we go to a restaurant, we're ordering a bunch of stuff. And God is like the waiter where he's taking, okay, check mark. What do you want? House Lord, check mark. What do you want? Job God, travel job to be precise, okay? <laughs> and, 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 you know, we go to God and we give him the 
requirements. Well, which is good. We take to God all the needs and wants of our life, but at the same time, an honest conversation with God is prayer. You know, every week, uh, you know, almost like Friday or Saturday, you know, I talk to my dad, my brother, we all come together, we talk, you know, about our sermons, you know, like, it's, it's a preaching family, so this is what we do, you know, like, we all gather together, we, we talk, and what are you preaching, and I'm saying, I'm preaching about this, and what are you preaching, and they all, you know, we all kind of discuss and talk through and all that stuff, it's just fun, you know, like a preacher family, right? And Anisha gets the fun of listening to our conversations too, and she's like, what are you guys doing? I'm like, talking about ministry, <laughs> this is so fun. So last week I was talking to my dad and I'm like, you know, like he, and something that he mentioned kind of opened my eyes to see every time people come to God and they say, you know what, God, I'm in deep problem. I am in messy situation. God is not tired of that. But if you bring just that every time, now, if you come to me and like a pastor, please pray. I am in deep trouble. And this is what something you keep saying every week. I'm like, brother, where is your faith? Like what you're doing, right? Sometimes we need to go, though I am going through deep troubles in my life, and we need to come to God and say, God, you know what? I am going through some stuff, but thank you for the grace of heaven. If it was not you, I wouldn't be alive. Just an honest conversation with God like you have with your wife, your girlfriend, your boyfriend, whoever it is you're doing life with. Just an honest conversation with God. God, thank you for today, you know. I would have been in a bad place if that meeting was not scheduled appropriately, but thank you. Thank you that this went bad, but still I have the grace of you in my life. Thank you, God, that I'm alive. Just an honest conversation. Even as Paul is helping the church understand, brothers, I want you to know wherever I am today is because of y'all's prayers. The prayer of the church. I am thankful that a lot of people who come here Wednesday night for prayer, Thursday night for prayer, different languages, but still on Wednesday night is the church prayer that we have, midweek prayer. Thursday night is our Tamil prayer. Saturday night our Malayalam prayer. I am thankful for people gathering. On Fridays we have, you know, the uh, uh, single ladies hang out once in a while and they pray. You know, there are different there are different prayer and fellowships and different spaces that people have, and I'm thankful. That as a corporate body of Christ, we take to God whatever other pressing needs in that moment. Paul, after 10 years of replanting this church in Philippi, he's writing this letter back to them from the prison, letting them know, brothers, you know what? I am right now bound in chains. I am miles and miles far away from y'all, and I'm seated here all by myself. Nobody's around me. But wherever I am, I can still thank God because of your prayers. Wherever I am, no matter nobody is around me, but still I have the confidence that a church is praying for me. No matter wherever I am, I know for the fact that my church will never leave me alone. They are with me in prayer, united together in prayer. Whenever I travel for ministry, go into houses for prayer, there are places where, you know, wherever God takes me, I'm always thankful that I can actually text a few people from our church and I know they are praying for me. There are a few people that I can take up the phone and say, 
uh, Pastor, I'm, I'm, I'm in this place. I need your prayer. I need your prayer. And I know they'll be praying for me the whole time. The reason I know is after two, three hours, of, even if they don't hear back from me, they call me. They ask me, Pastor, did you go? What happened? We were praying for you. The prayer of the church. Can I just ask my church, pray for one another. Like we need to make relationship with this church, with, with brothers and sisters in this house, the person that you're seated next to, or the pe- person who is in this room right now, or somebody who's watching us online. There should be a close-knit relationship with this group of people here. Though We know the life of each other. We do life with them, and not just enjoying with them at a park or some sort of a fellowship, but whenever they're down in life, we pray for that person. We pray for that person. I encourage my church, if you have not yet, we have a church directory app that is for, uh, for the members of our church. You know, we have all the church you know, address, numbers. Reach out to somebody. Let them know, hey, brother, we are praying for you. Sister, we're praying for you. I know you're going through some deep troubles this season, but I am praying for you. Let's be a praying church. That's, that's something that Paul is helping the Philippian church him. And the reason why, theologically, you know, when you do the background study of it, you understand when, whenever you start something, there's so much fire and there's so much passion. When you're a new Christian, when you come to the Lord for the very first time, you know, there's, a, there's something that drives you in this faith. That you show up for every event, that you are the first to be there and the last to leave. Guess how I know that your passion is lost? You are the last to come and the first to leave. But when, when we begin a new journey in Christ Jesus, when we begin a new journey in Christ Jesus, there's so much passion. The church in Philippi had so much passion to do the things of God. But over a period of time, because of persecution and struggles that they are going through as a nation, as a church, a lot of people started asking, why are we doing this? Because somewhere down the lane, they have lost their passion. Paul, who is now in the prison, is writing this letter, encouraging them, letting them know, brothers, I am here to encourage you. Guess what? You guys are prayer warriors. Because of your prayer, God has answered me. He's encouraging the church to come back to the basics of why God has planted us a church in Philippi, a church in Richardson, a church in Plano, a church in Dallas or India, wherever we are. The reason why we get to call as a church, as a family, we pray for one another. We pray for one another. So the church is tired. You know what? Yesterday, somebody sent me a link from uh, the new rule in Bangalore, India, the city that I grew up, right? Though there was so much persecution, a new rule that has been sent in Bangalore that you cannot baptize anybody. New rule in India. It's the silicon capital of South Asia in Bangalore. Slowly spreading across different states in India. A lot of pastors are already afraid. Because if you do convert somebody, if you do baptize somebody in Bangalore, if you do, no matter what church it is, and it is the law against the Islamic people as well, if you do baptize somebody, there's a criminal proceedings against you. You could be in jail for three to 20 years, non-bailable. 
a fine of maybe five lakhs plus, non-bailable. If you baptize two people or more, it's known as a mass conversion and you can be behind jail forever. Whenever persecution has come in the churches, churches has grown, which is great. In the book of Acts, we see that as the members, the new members, the body of Christ, they were scattered because of persecution. Wherever they scattered, God planted a church. God strengthened their work and ministry and the church expanded. But still, listen to this very carefully. There are a lot of baby Christians in our churches. New Christians within our gatherings. And I believe and I pray that each of us, our family strength in a bond is so strong. That when you find somebody whose faith is so shallow, you, you encourage that person. In Dallas, in Texas, or in America, we may, we may not have a real-time persecution against Christians. We may or we may not. Let's pray that we may not. But it may happen. But if it does, how many of us would gather together to say, for me to live is Christ and to die is gain? Are you with me? See, that's how we grow from being a baby Christian. A lot of Christians need pacifiers. Somebody said this yesterday. Oh, they need pacifiers? <laughs> no, we need to grow in stages of our Christian faith. To where Paul is actually helping his church in Philippi understand. Brothers and sisters, I want you to know that what and how we started off. Your prayers were fervent and your prayers have helped me thus far. It is your prayers that has brought me thus far. Number two in that portion that you see is the spirit of Christ will turn out for my deliverance. How many of us in this room believe that you have the Holy Spirit with you? Just a question. You have the Holy Spirit with you? The moment you accept the Lord as your personal Savior, there's a constant companion on your side. You may be a widow. You may be an orphan. You, you, you may be a single person, but you're never alone. The Holy Spirit is with you. That doesn't mean when you drive on the HOV next time and the police catches you, hey, you what? who is with you? The Holy Spirit is with you. You better pay the fine. <laughs> we as a child of God, we're never alone. There's a constant companion on our side all the time. And it is the grace of God, the Spirit of Jesus, the Holy Spirit. He's always, what a blessed opportunity it is that we are never alone. There is somebody with us who is strengthening us and encouraging. Paul is all by himself in that dungeon, in that prison, bound in shackles, surrounded by all of these soldiers. But still, the message of Paul is, brothers, I want you to know, no matter how lonely you get, no matter how alone you would be, no matter how great the persecution is against you, no matter whosoever comes and kills and murders, but the Holy Spirit is with you. And Paul is not just telling somebody else's story. He's actually helping them understand from his own life what a valuable lesson for a church in the 21st century seated here in Richardson, Texas to understand that Holy Spirit 
is with me all the days of my life. He never leaves or forsakes. He is with me as a constant companion in my life. I can talk to him. I can relate with him. I can do life with him. He knows me in and out. He walks with me. The spirit of Jesus Christ will turn out for my deliverance. I am praying this will be the season. This will be the season. As the body of Christ gathers together for prayer, it will bring deliverance in your life. Because the Holy Spirit is also helping to usher a deliverance in your life. Number one, the first point, three things that I want to mention today. Number one, there is power in corporate prayer. Uh, there is power. If you're writing it down, you can write it down from the glorious life. Uh, number one, there is power in corporate prayer. If not towards the end, I'll, I'll put the link on our groups for um, and the U version link uh, that we have for our no church notes. There is power in corporate prayer. Acts chapter 12, verse 5. So Peter was kept in prison, but the church earnestly prayed to God for him. Mark chapter 11, verse 24. Whatever you ask in prayer, believe that you have received it and it will be yours. Number two, allow the Holy Spirit to strengthen us. Allow the Holy Spirit to strengthen us. This season, some of you all need, maybe you're in the midst of some sort of a setback, allow the Holy Spirit to strengthen us. Philippians 1.19, For I know through your prayers that the help given by the Spirit of Jesus Christ. Galatians chapter 5, verse 22, The Holy Spirit produces this kind of fruit in our life. Love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. Ephesians chapter 3 verse 16. I pray that from his glorious unlimited resources, he will empower you with inner strength through his Holy Spirit. Third thing that I want to mention here as we do a glorious, walk in a glorious life with Christ Jesus. Number three, God will not disappoint us. How many of you believe that? God will never disappoint me. People can disappoint me. My boss can disappoint me. My family can disappoint me. My church can disappoint Any organization can disappoint me. But God will never disappoint me. God will never disappoint me. See, the reason why we sometimes get angry and upset in life with God is because we don't understand His plans. The plans of God are to prosper us and not to harm us. Come on, judge, y'all. His plans are to prosper us, not to harm us. We get disappointed because we want God to do exactly the same thing that we have ordered Him to do. We want Him to perform the same magic trick that He has done to somebody else's life. We want Him to function according to my experiences in the past. We want him to perform the same thing that I am asking the Lord. Hey God, you know what? He does not operate in anybody's agendas. His plans are different from the very beginning. And he knows the best for us. That's why I said, when we know God's plan for his children are the best, we're never disappointed whenever failures come in our life. Whenever setbacks come in our life. Whenever trouble comes against us, we are not bound in depression knowing and understanding that His plans for me are greater. Though I go 
through the wilderness, but he will make me come out of it and be and lead a glorious life. Philippians chapter 1 verse 20. I eagerly expect and hope that I will in no way be ashamed, but will have sufficient courage so that now as always, Christ will be exalted in my body, whether by life or by death. Listen, let's look into that. Christ be exalted in my, in my body. Christ be exalted in my body. Our life is the temple of God. As a Christian, as a child of God, we must glorify God to the very bodies that God has kept us alive. Our soul lives within this earthen vessel that God has put. Honoring God through our bodies. Everything that is outward is what is visible to the world outside. What has happened inside is visible outside with what is known to mankind. What the salvation God has granted in my life. When my conduct changes, people around me notice that change. When my behavior changes, people outside notice that change. Are you with me, church? A small change on your persona is immediately known by everybody who is around you. Why? Because that change is evident. In that circumstances, they notice us. As a child of God, we must glorify God with the very bodies He's given us. As a child of God, with the very bodies He has given us. And I pray in our context, in our way of life, in our doings of life, there are things that God has helped us to live and lead a life that when people watch us constantly, they know that this person has an inner transformation and that is seen and revealed in the world outside. A face is known as the mirror of a heart. Whatever happens, some people when you talk to them, brother, what happened? You know, I, sometimes I go and I talk to Anisha, right? Anisha, what happened? Nothing. I know something is wrong. What happened? Nothing. Did I bother you? Did I say something? Am I wrong? What happened? Nothing. In a lot of our relationships, we have that situation. But whatever is troubling our heart is revealed in our countenance, our face. Nehemiah walked in front of the king and the king, 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 the king asked Nehemiah, why is your face downcast? What happened to your countenance, Nehemiah? Because he is troubled about the very city that he loved. With the bodies, let's honor God. When we gather in his presence, God has blessed us with hands. Oh, lift up their hands in the sight of God's children as we worship Him. God has given us breath in our nostrils. We can honor and worship God, glorify His holy name. Philippians chapter 1 verse 20. Can I have the worship team behind me? I eagerly expect and hope 
that I will not be ashamed in any way, but I will have sufficient courage so that now as always Christ will be exalted in my body, whether by life or by death. Psalm 25 verse 3 says, No one whose hope is in you will ever be put to shame. And this is after the, my third point that I mentioned to our church. God will not disappoint us. No one whose hope is in Christ Jesus will ever be put to shame. Isaiah 49 verse 23. Those who hope in me will not be Disappointed. Listen to that scripture very carefully. Isaiah chapter 49 verse 23. Those who hope in me will not, will never ever be disappointed. In some day of life, have you been disappointed? Maybe we need to have a personal appointment with God to understand God, to understand God, your plans for me, no matter what it is, is perfect. He leads me through the quiet waters. He also leads me through the shadow of death. Wherever he leads me through, I know his plans for me are the best. I may have a negative medical report. I may have a positive medical report. No matter where he takes me, his ways are always perfect for me. God will never disappoint us. Fourth. I'm going to wind with this, wind up with this fourth thing that I want to mention to my church is Jesus should always be first. It's easy to preach, sometimes hard to practice. Let me just mention, Jesus should come first before our husband, before our wife, before our children, before our business, before God, whatever God has blessed us with. He comes first in our life. First in our life. You know, when you look through Philippians chapter 1 verse 21, Paul in the midst of his agony and pain and despair situation, whatever is life broken into his life. You know, in verse 21, it says that for me, for to me, to live is Christ and to die is gain. Oh wow, he was a man who was murdering people. He was a man who was killing people. He was on a killing spree after he got the rule changed up to kill all the Christians. One transformation in his life. He has grown to be a matured Christian, strengthening these churches that he has planted. Brothers, I want you to know, for me, to live is Christ and to die is gain. I may die. People may kill me. People will stone me to death. But for me, to live is Christ. In other words, as a Christian, you never lose. You win when you live in Christ. You win when you die in Christ. Are you with me, church? As a Christian, we never lose. You're always on the winning side. Pastor, this has gone wrong. You're still winning. Pastor, this is a big setback in my life. You are still winning. In every given situation as a Christian, you are winning. He owns the keys of life and death. You are winning. No matter what circumstances in life you are engulfed in, in this season, you are still winning. A negative report is negative to you, but God is still winning. You are on His side. The beginning of a glorious life that I began my sermon today begins in the understanding that no matter what happens in my life, I am always on the winning side with Christ Jesus. He never 
disappoints me. Brothers and sisters, can we rise up in God's house? This morning as we gather here and bringing our thoughts to God, some of the things that I want, I have to mention here at our church today, Jesus should always be first in our life. When Paul said the scriptures, right? For me to live is Christ and to die is gain. Listen to this. To live is Christ and to die is gain are the two ways of Paul magnifying Christ with his own body. Listen to this very carefully. Like I mentioned, when we die, our earthly body remains here. But our soul, our spirit that God has put within us goes to its creator, the maker. We will be reunited with our king. To live is Christ and to die is gain are the two ways of Paul magnifying Christ with his own body. Listen to this. Paul's dying magnified Christ because it showed Christ was more valuable than everything he had lost in his death. Are you with me? Follow me this. Follow me with this. Paul's dying magnified Christ because it showed Christ was more valuable than everything he has lost with his body. That thing. Christ is most magnified when we are more satisfied in Him. Are you with me, church? Christ is more magnified. How do you magnify? We exalt His name. We praise Him. We worship Him. What happens when, you know, like a lot of people that have joined a church and watching us online, I pray that we don't just watch them singing. They are the, one of the best. Can we put our hands together for our worship thing? I'm so thankful for them. But we don't gather here to watch them. We gather here to magnify Him. We don't gather here to magnify anybody on stage but Jesus. Are you with me? We gather in this room because we want to exalt His name with the living bodies that God has provided and protected us. I live a glorious life. Christ is more magnified when we are more satisfied in Him than in what we lose in death or what we have in life. I pray this season in our life, we are satisfied with God. We are satisfied with God. We will be satisfied with God. You know, the, the story of five loaves and two fishes when God multiplied and gave it to the multitude. One of the scripture that helps us understand that people ate and they were all satisfied. When we eat of the Lord, we are satisfied. When we ask of the Lord's presence, we are satisfied. People outside will disappoint us. Every other place and space may disappoint us. But His presence will never. Brothers and sisters, I have the opportunity in our church every month to take our church towards our holy table. In through the readings of 1 Corinthians chapter um, 11, we, we see Paul is writing this letter again to the church in Corinth and he's, he's helping them understand, brothers, for what I received in Christ, I am now passing it on to you in faith. That in the night Jesus was betrayed, in the night Jesus was betrayed, he took the cup in his hand, he took the bread in his hand, broke the bread, gave it to the people, took the cup, gave it to the people and said, do this 
in remembrance of me. Listen, the beginning of a glorious life in Christ Jesus helps us to understand that I don't die to begin the glorious life, but I have already died in my sinful ways and practices. Now I'm living a life with Christ. I am already part of the family. I come from different homes, different cities, different environments, different backgrounds of life. But when I gather in this space, I am part of the family. There's no Jew, no Greek, no Gentile. I am part of the family. Blood washed by the same precious blood of Jesus Christ. His precious body was broken for you and me. We are part of the same family. Every month we gather here asking the Lord. Lord, thank you for thy sacrifice for me. Today, as we extend our hands together towards this holy table, I pray that God's grace will continue to strengthen and be with us. I'm going to call uh, Brother Louis and Brother George Thomas to come forward, Brother Thomas Jacob and Brother George Thomas to come forward and let's, let's take part in the Holy Communion together today. May the grace of God continue to strengthen each one of us. But I also pray during this time as we sing a song, uh, I pray that you know we will examine ourselves and our soul. Lord, thank you for the grace of heaven 